from WNET in New York, welcome to WNET Up Next, where we bring you inside the world of public media and help you get to know the people who make it all happen. I'm Tom Stewart with the final segment of our three-part series featuring the hosts of MetroFocus, WNET New York Public Media's daily news program. We've heard from Jenna Flanagan and Raphael P. Roman, and now we're going to turn to the third member of the MetroFocus trio, Jack Ford. Jack, welcome to WNET Up Next. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure. Jack, you have a very interesting background. Prior to your broadcasting career, uh, law school, attorney, prosecutor, law professor, how did all of that prepare you for a career in broadcast journalism? It, it's interesting because I'll talk at journalism schools now, and people will ask me, you know, how did you prepare for it? And, and in some ways I feel kind of bad because here they are in journalism school and they're paying money for that. And you didn't go and in that I direction. And I stumbled into it. You know, I, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I uh, got out of law school, was a prosecutor for a number of years, then it was a, a, a trial attorney. I tried everything from death penalty cases to antitrust cases. And I got into journalism. I was asked by a number of groups to defend the first death penalty case in the Northeast. This was back in the 80s, mid-80s. Because it was the first of the death penalty case, we had a lot of media attention, cameras in our courtroom, did a lot of interviews afterwards, and did one with Channel 2 in, here in New York. Okay. And when the interview was over, live interview with Jim Jensen, who was one of the legendary news anchors, local New York news anchors, when it was over, he said, you, you seem comfortable. Have you you'd done TV before? And I said, look, my football coach at Yale had a weekly New England show on. This was back in the 70s when the Ivies were still national powers. And I had actually put myself through my last year of law school, paid for my last year of law school on Jeopardy. I was on Jeopardy three times and won a bunch of money to pay for it. So, so they said to me at Channel 2, well, I'd like to come on once a week or so, and, and sort of be our legal analyst. They were starting to add contributors back then. Okay. Uh, so I started doing that, and then it evolved. But what I say to people, interestingly, is having been a trial lawyer was marvelous preparation for doing live television, especially doing interviews. Mm -hmm. you know, because when I taught in law school, I taught law students how to try cases. And I said, you know, your role in, in the courtroom, and this is where it's very similar as an interviewer, Sometimes your role is to challenge the person you're talking to. Sometimes your role is to allow them to be the experts and to tell the story and let it flow from them. So the skills actually transferred very nicely from being a trial lawyer to, to being a journalist. Absolutely. It's worked very well. I think a lot of wonderful journalists that we see did not have a formal journalistic. In, in fact, uh, journalism as a school is only a fairly recent uh, right. Addition. Yeah. Well, I look at, you know, from law school again, those skills. And, you know, one of the first things I started doing after I was with Channel 2 is doing the seminars that aired on PBS that Fred Friendly read. Sure. And Fred became one of my mentors. And Fred's advice to me getting into journalism, and it's interesting how it dovetailed so with being a trial lawyer, he said, your job is to be a respectful skeptic. Mm -hmm. And each of those two components are important. You know, the skepticism, obviously, is what a journalist does and what a journalist brings to the conversation. But Fred was always insistent upon you still had to be respectful, respectful. while you were doing it. So it lent itself to that move from the law to, to journalism. You've had such a varied career, uh, many different programs, many different networks, many different positions. How does everything here in the world of public media different from that commercial world that you were a part of? You know, I, I've said this often, and I'm not just saying it because you and I are having this conversation now. But I have said that working on MetroFocus in the PBS world has been one of the great joys of my career. 
And, and the reason is, and I don't mean to diminish anything else I've done, because I loved all the other things I did. I, you know, I loved doing stories for 60 Minutes or 60 Minutes Sports. I loved it when I was the chief legal correspondent for NBC News. There were great trials that I got to cover. Got to, to sit in as the, the anchor of the Today Show on the weekends, which was fabulous. But this, I, I get to have in-depth conversations with people, kind of like what you and I are having right now. You know, so you watch Metrofocus, and in the course of a day, you know, I might talk to a presidential historian. So we can look at presidential politics, not at the bomb-throwing level of people screaming at each other, but at a higher, a, a more intellectual, but a, an important way for people to understand it. And then I can talk to a Broadway star, you know, about what he or she is doing on the stage, and then a great author, and then talk local politics. So what I love about this is the ability to dive, to, to reach a depth in your conversations. And my favorite thing is the end of the day, and I might have taped eight or ten interviews in one day, I walk away and I think, boy, did I learn a lot today. That's and great. boy, was it fun to learn, too. Any particular favorites that you've had here so far? Oh, I've had so many. I mean, you look, I, I got to spend time with Angela Lansbury. Oh. You know, we did a half hour with her on Metrofocus, and what a delightful, extraordinarily talented person. I, I just literally today taped an interview with a, a woman who's a Holocaust survivor. And she has just been part of the Shoah Foundation at USC. And they are trying to memorialize stories, Holocaust survivors, first-person stories, because sadly, we're losing them. Yeah. And they're doing it in a almost a hologram fashion. It's fascinating. They have a hundred and some cameras shooting this while they ask hundreds of questions. And the product is going to allow people in years to come, when this woman sadly is no longer with us, to, it almost looks as if they're sitting in front of her. You really experience And her. they can pose a question to her that has already been answered in this preparation, but the program will recognize it and she'll answer their questions. So, that is so just amazing. Just the technology of that was fabulous, but she was just such a marvelous woman. Her stepsister was Anne Frank. Um, so talking with her ab about her life and, and her history. So, you know, it's, it's sort of an illustration of the great people um, that you get to talk to. And you're part of a great team at Metrofocus as well. It's a fabulous team. Tell it, me about some of the working relationships that you have. You know, uh, uh, Rafael Piroman has been there for the longest time. And Raf, you know, he's sort of the, the has the institutional history. Absolutely. Um, and Jenna Flanagan is just wonderful. She brings a, a, an energy to this. Um, so the three of us kind of kind of split up our, our interviews. And the team, um, you know, Dave Brown is the executive producer. Uh, Dominic Kamia is, is next in line. And then we have great producers here. Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting thing. Now, I've been at NBC News, CBS News, ABC News. Big budgets, you know, with a lot of really, really talented people. You know, I talk about working for 60 Minutes and, and you know, great, great producers and great editors, uh, great shooters, camera people. But the people I've worked with here have been as good as anywhere. When you're invested in public television and you're invested in our mission here, you bring a passion that you don't always see in commercial television. Just a it, little bit of a higher calling. Yeah, it is. It's a calling. It's a great way to put it, Tom. That's what it is. It, it's a calling. When people bring that to their work, you can see it and you can feel it. In a more general way, how do you feel that television news has changed over the time that you've been involved with it? It, it's been an interesting evolution in the news. I've been doing it for 30 years now. And I tell people, especially when I tell young people, and I was at Fordham University a week ago talking to their journalism students. Mm -hmm. And I said, imagine this. When I first started doing this 30 years ago, if I ever let my opinion 
of the story or the people I was covering to seep into my reporting, I get yanked right off the air. Yeah. And I get these looks of disbelief from these young, soon-to-be journalists because all they've known is opinion. Right, and, 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 and personalizing yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. And what I've said to them is, look, opinion has always been an essential part of journalism. But what disturbs me now is, um, you know, an expression has been attributed to a lot of people. I've seen it attributed oftentimes to Winston Churchill where he said, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. What you're not entitled to are your own facts. Yeah. And what we're seeing is the notion of facts is getting lost in journalism. It's being replaced by a need for speed. You know, you have to be the first one up on the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, okay, maybe you'll get it wrong. At least you'll be first. Well, that's heresy. should be heresy yeah. in journalism. So when I watch what's happened in the news and, you know, I look at, at, at the evening newscast, and I've worked for all three of them. You know, with some of them all within five or seven minutes of the broadcast. Remember, they only have 22 minutes to give you something that you need to know about the world. And all of a sudden you see they're showing videos of cute kitten videos or flaming car crashes where nobody gets killed and there's no great issue. It just happens to be video that's, that shows fires. I've noticed that more lately. Right. And I'm, I'm looking at that saying, you've only got 22 minutes. Don't you want to... Give us something more in that 22 minutes to make yourself relevant as to just be entertaining for us. So I I think what's happened, and and I'm not trying to indict everybody because it's not across the board. But what I've seen, and is a little bit troubling to me, is the notion that we have to weave entertainment into the news. And in sometimes replacing the news on some shows. And it's unfortunate to me. I guess I'm just more of a traditionalist. Maybe I'm just older. I don't know. Well, it's like the film network has sort of come well, true yeah, in a lot you're, of ways. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, and I, I think we've seen that change. And the question is, you know, at some point in time, you know, and I see more and more of the shows sort of getting more and more towards entertainment. I'm wondering if you're going to make yourselves irrelevant when you do that. Because there's so many places to go, platforms for entertainment and for funny video or for flaming video or whatever it is. If we stop being a source of reasoned news, will we sort of do away with ourselves in some fashion in terms of network news organizations or any news organization? Do you feel with so much available online and on the Internet and people can really program their own newscast that that's had an effect on on the way we experience I think it has. You know, I I use my own illustration. Again, I've worked for all three of those nightly newscasts, and I love the people who do it, and it was a great experience for me. I don't watch them as much anymore now because basically they're not giving me anything that I don't already have by the end of my day. Yes. You know, either on my phone or on my computer, I'm, I'm up to date with it. So there's rarely something that I'm seeing on the nightly newscast that I didn't already know about. That's why I'm saying to them, give me something more. Give me a little bit more in-depth that I don't know about. Don't give me, you know, videos of cute cats and funny stories. You know, it's fine to do that as a kicker at the end of your newscast. Everybody does that, and that's great. You know, find a nice story, a heartwarming story. That's a good thing. So I I think you're right. I think the danger for the traditional news outlets is there's so many other platforms to provide us with that. How do you make sure that you are remaining relevant Mm In, in the face of such competition. Well, that's the strength of a program like MetroFocus. So. A- absolutely. The good thing is we say you're not going to find what we do anyplace else. And that's a good thing. You're also going to have an opportunity at the end, because our interviews are 8, 10, 12, sometimes longer minutes. On television, that's an eternity, as yes. you know, Tom. You know, I remember times when people would say, you know, I'd be a guest on some show and they'd bring you in to talk about something. and say, okay, you'll have two and a half minutes to talk about <laughs> And I'd, I'd laugh, I'd say, I'm a lawyer and a journalist. I can't give you my name in two and a half minutes. You know, I need a little more time than this. 
Um, so what uh, I mean, the beauty and what we do is we have time to expand on the conversation. We make it a conversation. The greatest compliment I get is when a guest is finished saying, you know what, I really enjoyed that conversation. I felt like I got to say what I wanted to say. And when they tell me that, then I figure, okay, now we're doing our job. Because if the guest felt that way, then most assuredly the viewer must feel that way too. Well, you know, we talk a lot here about uh, providing media with impact. And that's really is probably what we really do. That is the impact uh, of what we have. Yeah, and, and we do that in a lot of ways. I think we provide impact in terms of knowledge. I think we provide impact in terms of perspective and a sense of context for stories that you don't often get other places. I think we provide impact in some of the stories we do. You know, we have a whole series on on chasing the dream. And we'll tell stories of people whose lives have been changed, transformed dramatically because of either a particular school that they got into or a program that's helped them pick them up in their community or that's picked up entire communities. And you, you don't see that other places. And yet the reality is that's had an impact on the lives of not just individuals, but communities and, and entire cities. And I think that's what, what's the most valuable thing about what we do. We are indeed media with impact instead of being media with, with you know, fancy videos. <laughs> Jack, before I let you go, I know that there's a, a younger member of your family who has already been impacted uh, by public television. Can you tell me a yeah. little bit about your this experience is... in watching a public television program with one of your grandchildren? It's <laughs> a great story, Tom. We, we have our first grandchild, our, our son, um, Bennett Christopher Haggerty, our daughter Ashley, uh, who is a, a very proud of her. She's a doctor. She's a cancer surgeon at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital. So Bennett is our, our first grandchild. And he was, we were babysitting for him. And we were at her house. And he, when he was little, he loved the Daniel Tiger series mm-hmm. on PBS. So we had, we punched up a Daniel Tiger. I don't know if it was live or if they had taped one. And he's sitting in his chair and he's kind of on my, then I moved me, sitting on my lap and we're watching Daniel Tiger. And, and in the very beginning, before the program starts, they're rolling some, you know, some credits and things. And, and now he was at the time not even two years old, but he was talking. And he's on my lap and he's kind of watching this all roll. And he knows he's excited because this leads into Daniel Tiger. He knows that. Uh-huh. And as the announcer is listing the folks who have contributed to make this show possible, gets to the last line, and Bennett on my lap, just talking to the television, says, and viewers like you. <laughs> and I, I, I started laughing. I immediately, you know, I think I called my daughter and I said, <laughs> first of all, I think our grandchild is a genius. But secondly, how great is this? You know, what I do for a living. And an he early, has, he's an early convert exactly. to what Grandpa does for a living. And viewers like, like, and thank viewers viewers like, like you. Thank viewers like you. That's a great, great story. Mm-hmm. Jack Ford, uh, best of everything with Metro Focus and all of your other activities. It's great to have you here on WNATF Next. My pleasure. Thank you, Tom. And before we leave you, here's a bit of Jack's interview with Dame Angela Lansbury. This was my first stage appearance. I mean, that's fascinating to think yeah. of, given all the work you've done, that the first time you appeared on stage was actually in Broadway. Absolutely. How daunting was that? It, 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 it was daunting. It was challenging. I was pushed way beyond what I had uh, experienced or been able to uh, do up until, till that point. And it, it, Peter Glenville, who was the director, said, we've got to bring your voice down. Your voice is too high. You need to have a, a much more stuff in your voice. So uh, I did. I worked on that. It was a costume play. 
it, it required all kinds of uh, things that I, I hadn't really, well, I had in movies, but movies are different, my goodness. It's all make-believe in movies. On stage, it's different. You've got, to, you've got to entertain that audience. You've got to shut up when, when, when Bert Lahr is, is making a funny mo, as we say, word. And, you, you know, you, it's a whole different world. The theatre, oh, I love the theatre. I mean, I, I'd rather be in theatre than anywhere. It's the best. Why? Because you've got an audience right there, sitting right along the front row, and you, you know, <laughs> they're with you. Today we've been talking with Jack Ford from Metrofocus, the daily news and interview program seen every day on 13, WLIW 21, and NJTV. You can also find it online at metrofocus.org. And remember to check out the Metrofocus app and the Metrofocus podcast. Thanks again to Jack Ford, Raphael Piroman, and Jenna Flanagan for sharing their behind-the-scenes insights. And we'd also like to take a moment to thank some of the people who make our podcast possible. John Berman for audio recording and post-production. Dylan DeJong for post-production assistance. Vanos for our logo design. Emily Lee for our musical theme. And our executive producer, Dana McBride. And as Jack Ford's grandson might say, it's all thanks to viewers like you. And please share your thoughts with us at upnext at WNET.org. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York Public Media. I'm Tom Stewart.